Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Hey, 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 I'm so glad to be here at Centerpoint, man. I love coming here, even though you're Bucks fans, I still enjoy it. Um, and go creamsicles. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I kind of, I got to be honest, this has nothing to do with today, uh, although it has everything to do. Home game today. I, I, I kind of like Baker Mayfield. So, oh, I thought you may enjoy that. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever had a kid or not. Um, I, I, uh, I, I haven't had a kid, but we have four. My wife did the doing. I just I participated, but she had the kids. But when we were uh, about to have our first kid, when we found out she was pregnant, we were like planners, right? So we, we wanted to like figure out how to do this well. So we jumped like headfirst in. We read that, you know, what, what to expect when you're expecting book. Um, uh, I, uh, we, we went to like these classes, you know, um, there's these birthing classes. Super weird. I don't know if you've been to one of these before. You sit around with a bunch of strangers and watch disgusting videos and then you... Just look at people and go, I hope I never see you again. This is weird. Um, this is, we got like a weird connection here. Um, but we like made our plan. I mean, we did everything you could do to be as prepared as we can be. Uh, and then if you've ever you know, been through the process before, you know, like having a baby is like a mission trip. The only thing you know for sure is that your plan is not going to happen. And so we, we, we walk in with our seven page birthing plan and the doctors are like, oh, you're very sweet. That's very cute of you. And so uh, we get there and, you know, nothing goes according to plan. Uh, in fact, I feel like having a baby reminds me of a quote from really one of my favorite philosophers of all time, uh, Mike Tyson. Uh, Mike, Mike said this, uh, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. That's kind of what having, having a baby is like. Um, you know, when we found out she was pregnant, in all seriousness, we did all the work. We did all the studying. We had the plans. We were so prepared because we knew, like, we wanted to make this thing go as well as we can. There can be complications and all that. So, uh, you know, I mean, months in advance, I have my go bag packed. I've got the routes to the airport plan. We live in Atlanta, so to get from our house to the airport could take 20 minutes or four and a half days. You, we, you don't really know. It depends on the day of the week and the way the moon's aligned and all the wrecks. And so, I, you know, we're, I'm as prepared as I can be. And I just, I will never forget, you know, when she walked outside and she says, I think it's time. I think it's time. Now, if, guys, if you've ever been in this place before, you know, like, that is like insanity. That's the moment where just chaos begins, right? Everything gets chaotic. You're unpacking your go bag. You know you forgot something. You're trying to make sure you got everything. You jump in the car. You throw all the towels in the car because as you know, in the movies, most births happen on the way to the hospital. So now again, if you've been through birth, you would throw a tarp in the car. You don't know that yet. So you're throwing towels in the car. You're driving through you know, traffic to the airport. You know that when you get there, everybody's going to be so excited to see you if you make it. If you don't deliver on the way, that you get to the, the hospital, the doctors are sprinting to help you. Like, everybody's so excited that you get there, and then you have this sweet little baby a few minutes later, and it's just so, so, so sweet, you know? Now, if you've ever been through this process, you know that it goes nothing like that. 
Like the movies portray this thing to be like this massive kind of chaotic thing and half the children are born on the side of the road and, you know, the doctors are all excited you're there and none of it's like that. I mean, when my wife, I'll never forget, when my wife with our first child came outside, I was doing yard work, she says, I, I think it's time. I think my water broke. I'm like, what do you mean you think your water broke? Like, what does that even mean? Like, I would think I would know if water broke. Dude, what is it breaking? What is it, did it, where did it break? Is it like glass? Did it shatter? Like, what? I, I don't know. And she's like, calm down. Like, I, I just think we should start preparing. And I'm like, okay, I'm prepared. And I, I grab the bag. I grab the towels. You know, I grab her. We throw everything in the car. We rush to the hospital. Again, I've seen these movies. I know what can happen. You know, we want to get there as fast as we can. We get to the hospital. There's no doctors running. No one's that excited that we're there. It's very disappointing. We, we, we check in. They go, How are, how's it going? We're like, her, her contractions are every day. They're really progressing, you know? <laughs> Apparently, two minutes apart is like when it gets serious, you know? And we were kind of getting there, but like, you know, it gets way slower than I thought. Uh, 18 hours later, we, we had our daughter, and I realized... The movies are getting it wrong all the time. It's not nearly as urgent, and there's a much more yelling than the movie show, you know? It's so funny when I think back to all of that. Like, why did I pack so far in advance? I mean, think about it. Why did I have the go bag at month seven ready to go? Why did I map out 14 routes to the hospital so far in advance? Like, why did we go and tour the hospital and do pre-check-in and all those kinds of things, right? Why did we do all of those things? Why did we prepare so much? And the reason is actually simple, and it's a life principle. The reason we prepared so much, much is because something was imminent. Or in this case, we would say life, literally, life was imminent. Something was imminent. Something was about to happen. Now, we didn't know when it was going to happen, but we knew when it happened, it was going to be important. It was going to be imminent. And a part of this principle plays out always. Imminency always creates urgency. Anytime there's something that's imminent, it automatically creates a sense of urgency. I mean, think about that. You have had imminent things happen in your life. You, you weren't necessarily prepared for it, or maybe you were, and then it happened, and immediately you felt a sense of urgency. In fact, think for a minute. Can you think of a time maybe recently where something in your life felt imminent, when something felt imminent, and you immediately probably felt a sense of urgency. Let me, let me give you some examples that may help. Um, some of you may be like me, and you like shopping. Uh, I really do enjoy buying things online, uh, and, the, and the people know that because they send me all sorts of emails with coupons, right? So you get all of these opportunities, but the coupon ends at midnight, you know? And so some of you have done this to your spouse. You've said, hey, honey, I got great news. I, I saved $150 today, you know? I spent 500, but I saved 150, you know, but it was ending at midnight. It was urgent. It was urgent because it was imminent. Or maybe, maybe you went to the doctor, right? Now, uh, this is not imminent. You go to the doctor, like say you're a guy, you go get a physical, which I know is silly. No guys do this, but you go get a physical. You should do that. You go, you go, and the doctor says, hey, you know, your blood pressure's really high and we did your blood work and the cholesterol just said no, like it's really bad, like you should eat better and do some walking every once in a while. And, and you don't do anything. Like, you don't do anything. Can you imagine being a doctor? It's got to be the most frustrating job of all time. Like, all they do is say, eat better, walk more. And, and okay, and then nobody does, you know? So you go to the doctor, and that's what they tell you to do. You don't do it. But, but what if it felt more imminent? Like, what if you go to the doctor, and you have your physical... And what if the doctor says, hey, you know, do me a favor. Pull out your phone, and do you have a picture of your family? And you pull it up, and like, this is weird. 
And then what if a doctor said, hey, I just want to be honest. If, if you don't start eating better, if you don't start walking, if you don't lose some weight, let me just tell you something. You, you see that woman there? She's potentially going to be calling some other man husband in the next year. And those children are going to call somebody else dad because you're going to die. That's urgent. Like that feels imminent. Like some of you are like freaked out right now. You want to go walk right now, you know? You don't want that to happen. Why? If something is actually imminent, it creates a sense of urgency. Or one more, maybe you go to um, uh, your favorite like local uh, fast food Mexican place and you get your tacos, you get your number one. And, and you know, about halfway through the meal, you're, you're really grateful that you chose that booth adjacent to the bathroom because something is imminent and really urgent, you know? It's how it always works there. But you get the point, right? Like, this is just a life principle. It, it, every time we, we have a sense of, uh, uh, of something's imminent, their imminency, it creates a sense of urgency. And to finish the principle, urgency is a catalyst for action. It's impossible. It's basically impossible to feel a real sense of urgency and do nothing about it. It's so challenging. I mean, this is why we call it a sense of urgency. It's not a sense of I don't care. Like, there's never been a time where, you know, you felt a sense of urgency. You're like, ah, that's okay. Ah, it didn't bother me. In fact, it's a kind of a survival instinct. It's a good thing that urgency is a catalyst for action. We never would have made it. We would have been extinct. Can you imagine, like, our ancestors? Look at that saber-toothed tiger. He's running right at us. No big deal. Who cares, right? Of course we care. Why? Because it's going to eat you. The sense of urgency drives action. You run into the cave and hide. That's why we're here. And this is important. It isn't just for you. I mean, a sense of urgency always is a catalyst for action for you personally. But when something is imminent in the life of somebody around you, when, when something is imminent in the life of maybe a, a child or a parent or a spouse or a friend or a neighbor, or, if you see something that's imminent and you know that it should create urgency on their part, you want to help them recognize that. You want to help them act because of that, I mean, for instance, let's say that you're a parent and you've got a child and they're in seventh grade or eighth grade and yeah, I mean, they're doing all right. I mean, they're not killing it in school, but I mean, who cares? It's seventh and eighth grade. I mean, they're doing fine. But here's what you know. You know that those grades right now don't matter that much. However, next year, they're going to be in ninth grade. And if they're in ninth grade sleeping through algebra, it's going to be a real problem. There's a sense of urgency in ninth grade. Because four years later, there's these three little letters that are going to come together and destroy your life. It's called GPA. And when you're a senior in high school, you don't start working on your GPA if you ruined it sleeping through ninth grade algebra class. But what happens to the ninth graders? If you're a ninth grader in here, you're, you, you think I'm stupid, but I'm not. Trust me. If you're a ninth grader, if you're a ninth grader, you can't imagine being a senior. It seems so far away. Like these classes, these grades, it just seems so far away. But your parents are looking going, it's going to be like that. It's going to go so quick. And all of a sudden, you're going to be in a position where you're wanting to do something what's next for your life. And it's going to be more challenging because you didn't feel that sense of urgency as a ninth grader. So you want to act on behalf of that, right? Now, this is an important connection for that. Um, in, in the first century, this Christianity thing was brand new. They didn't even call it that then. But in the first century... The, the, the Christian church was just starting, and there was a real and powerful sense of urgency that existed 
in the first century church. And the reason is because those first century Christians, those first century followers, felt like something was urgent because something felt imminent. Something felt very imminent to those first century Christians. And what felt imminent was the mission that they were on. They, they had a mission. Now, if you work at a company or, you know, you, you go to a restaurant, they always have a mission statement. You know, if you work somewhere, there's probably a mission statement and you don't know what it is. It has a bunch of adjectives and, you know, it's flowery language and it means nothing really to you, right? But this mission wasn't one of those. Like the mission that the first century followers of Jesus had, it was more like a military mission. It, it was very clear. It was very specific. It had like a, a tangible go and do's. It was more of a command than just a suggestion. And this mission, we've labeled it the Great Commission. It really is the mission of the first century church and believers today. Let me tell you kind of how this happens. Um, Jesus, uh, maybe you know this, Jesus, he lives about 33 or so years. He dies. They crucify him on a cross. And then, spoiler alert, three days later, he comes back to life. He's out of the tomb. It's incredible. Again, anybody who can, you know, uh, uh, you know say they're going to die and then raise from the dead and then he pulls the whole thing off. I mean, that's crazy. That's insane. And that's what he does. And so three days later, he spends about 40 days walking and talking with people and they're interacting with Jesus and everybody's blown away by this. And so Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven. He's going to go back home. And before he does, he gathers with his closest followers and he tells them some important things. He says, I'm going to come back I'm going away for a while, but while I'm gone, I have a job for you to do. And it's the Great Commission. Here's what Jesus tells those first followers. And I think he would say to us today, this is in Matthew 28. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, why did he give us this commission? Well, lots of reasons. One is that Jesus knew that a relationship with him really mattered. He knew that in the end, it's the only thing that is going to matter. But he also knew that a relationship with him is what make, makes life better while we're here. It makes us better at life while we're here. He, he knew that we were going to experience trouble. I mean, we live in a broken world. Sometimes we create the trouble. Sometimes trouble just gets created. Sometimes it's just random. And life can be so hard. But a relationship with Jesus allows us to navigate it in such a fresh, better way. He knew that. And so he wanted every single person to find out what God had done through him. That's why the Great Commission and so he gives the Great Commission to these disciples. You can read about this in the book of Acts. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. If you remember, all these guys, they're all just looking up and watching him. And then they just keep standing. Why? Because he said he was coming back. So they're like, maybe he's about to come back. Eventually God goes, hey, go, do the commission. And so they do. They, they, they start sharing the good news of Jesus with everybody. But he knew how important it was. And those disciples believed it was really important. They believed that spreading the gospel was the most important thing that they could do. And the reason was simple. Spreading the gospel felt urgent to them because Jesus' return was so imminent for them. They believed that spreading the good news about what Jesus had done, what God had done uh, for us through Jesus, they believed that that good news was so important to spread. It felt so urgent 
because he was going to come back and it was imminent. I mean, they, they were like, he's coming back Monday. We have a lot to do. He's going to come back in the next couple of days. I mean, we may get a week, I don't know, for fall break, but it's going to be a big deal. Like, we have a lot to do. And they started sharing it as quickly as they can. They did everything they could. But as we read through some of the New Testament, what we realize is that at some point along the way, it got a little bit um, complacent. At some point along the way, the kind of passion for sharing that message and the imminence of Jesus' return kind of just seemed to go away, which I kind of get that, you know? Like if he doesn't come on Monday, that's one thing, but then if he doesn't come the next Monday and then another week and then a month and then a year and a couple of decades go by, no Jesus, I mean, it's almost like your parents telling you that tomorrow's Christmas and then you wake up and it's April 3rd. Like, that's kind of a bummer, you know? And they go, I'm just kidding, but it is tomorrow. I mean, at some point, you don't believe that anymore. And it seems like that started to happen here, especially to the Jewish believers. There's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. We don't really know who wrote it, but the person who wrote it obviously was a Jewish person and wrote it to the Hebrew believers, the Jewish people who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. And in this letter, there's so many great things that this person puts in this letter. But one of the things that they say that they write just seems to kind of paint a picture of what was happening around this imminency and around the urgency about Jesus and sharing the message. Here's how it goes. This is in Hebrews 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now, just quick pause. Um, it's so interesting when you think about this. Like, it hasn't been like 2,000 years. It's been a few years. And already there's complacency setting in. Already there's like habits forming that aren't great habits. Now, honestly, pastors love to preach this passage because you can guilt and shame people and come to church more and it makes you feel better because the room is full, but that's not what this passage is about. Do you know why the author of Hebrews wanted to remind these people to not give up meeting together? I mean, it's actually very simple. Think about it this way. If you were, um, like in, I've never done this, but if you were in the military and you had a really important mission to accomplish next year, how well do you think that mission would go if you didn't gather together at all until next year when the mission starts, odds are that doesn't go well. Did you know why we're, we really need to gather together as believers? This is, this is for Christians. Do you know why we need to do that? We need to gather together frequently because it keeps us on mission. That's why. The, the reason we get together, I mean, sure, uh, worship is important. Uh, singing is important, right? Learning is important. All of that stuff's important. But there's nothing more important than remaining on mission, and it's hard to remain on mission if you're not around that much. Well, when you're in a church, when you're in a gathering, we get to hear stories of what God's up to. We get to see people that encourage us. We get to encourage others. It keeps us on mission. That's why the author says, don't give that up. Don't forget to do that. But then look at what they say next. And this is what we're going to end on with Hebrews. He's, the person says, the author says, and all the more, like, don't give up all this stuff. And all the more... As you see the day approaching. And in your translation of the Bible, odds are the D in day is capitalized. The reason being is because they're talking about the return of Jesus. 
Hey, don't, don't give up gathering together. Don't give up encouraging one another. Don't give up this thing that we're doing. Don't get lazy. Don't get lackadaisical about it. Because, by the way, something is imminent. Something is going to happen soon. Something is, is coming soon. This is a big deal. Like, don't forget about that. You know, it's so crazy when you think about it, like the implications of it. Those very first Christians, those very first believers, those very first followers, were doing anything they can to spread the message of Jesus. And they were doing everything within their power to ensure every single person across the entire known world heard the message of what God had done during their time, during their generation. Uh, They all actually died for it. I don't know if you know that or not, but those disciples, those very early disciples of Jesus, every single one of them was executed, not because of what they believed, but because they wouldn't shut up about what they saw and experienced. This is a big deal. If you're not a Christian, if you're not sure about faith and stuff with Jesus, this is the one thing you should just wrestle to the ground, just this alone, you know? Throw out all the other stuff, Genesis and all that. I mean, it's interesting, but it doesn't matter really compared to this. I mean, here's the one thing you got to figure out. Why did 11, there's 11 of them left, why did 11 people die still saying that Jesus came back to life and that's why they died. I mean, think about it this way. Let's say you're in high school and there's some lie you're telling and it's getting you a lot of popularity, right? And then the principal comes around and says, hey, um, if you keep lying about this, I'm going to kill you. What would you do? You probably wouldn't keep up the, the, the bit, would you? You'd probably go, okay, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't murder me in school, you know? Not a single one of them recanted. Not a single one. Not because of something they believed that they told their grandparents told them. Because of what they saw. It's crazy. They did the boldest things because of the gospel. It felt so imminent to them. And I think there's two reasons. The first one is just simply this, that they believed. They believed that one day living outside of a relationship with Jesus was one day too many. They really believed that. They believed that one day living outside of that relationship was one day too many. And the other thing they believed, though... They believed that Jesus' return was imminent. (laughs) They believed that Jesus was coming back very soon. And they wanted every single one to meet him, to know him before he came back. There was an imminency that was creating urgency. And it was a catalyst for action. In fact, that's what we said earlier, right? That's how imminency works. When something is imminent, it creates a sense of urgency. And it is a catalyst for action. (laughs) However, (laughs) that was 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, it's been 2,000 years, right? I mean, that's a long time. That's a lot of Mondays that have come and gone without anybody coming back. It's a long time. Like at some point, you begin to feel like the little boy who cried, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, and it just ain't, ain't coming. And it's easy to get a little more lackadaisical, isn't it? Because it doesn't feel imminent anymore. I mean, the principle works in reverse just the same. If nothing is imminent, nothing is urgent, and there's very little need to act. If nothing feels imminent, nobody feels a sense of urgency, and there isn't a reason to do anything. I mean, if I could say it this way, welcome to modern Christianity. (laughs) Nothing feels that urgent. The gospel doesn't feel that urgent. The message of Jesus doesn't feel that imminent. So therefore, we kind of just go on about our days, go on about our normal lives. We develop habits and rhythms about all the things that do feel urgent, the things that do feel imminent, but faith and Jesus and all that just doesn't feel like one of those. 
In a way, it kind of feels like we've turned the Great Commission into something I like to call the Great Suggestion. Like we would never say this, but this is kind of how we treat the mission today. I, I wrote it down. I think it's, it sounds something like this. When it's convenient, when it's convenient, go and make disciples if you have time. Or you like them. Definitely not to the HOA, but other people, right? And, and also, if you feel confident that they're not going to ask you any really hard questions, because that could be awkward, right? Baptize them if they'll let you dunk them underwater and teach them to obey the things that you feel should be obeyed. But you can leave out, you know, whatever is too difficult or doesn't work for you. You know, you do you, boo. It's okay. No big deal. But no worries. You know, I'm, I'm going to be with you even, even if you're not really on mission. I mean, that's how we kind of treat this mission. That's how we treat the great commission. Now, the reality, listen, here's the reality. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. We have no idea. We, we don't know. Paul, by the way, the greatest missionary of all time, he understood that. He understood that. He wrote in one of his letters. Look at what he said. He said, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, I, don't, I hope you've never been thieved before, but... You, you do know this, the thief never knocks on the door and says, hey, what's happening next Wednesday? Thinking about coming over, you know? You can be here, but it's gonna be harder if you are. So, you know, if you wanna leave a key under the mat or if there's like a rock or something, no, then didn't do that. That's how it's gonna be with Jesus. I mean, listen, Jesus may come during the middle of this message. Some of you may be hoping for that, I don't know. Like, he may show up in the next minute or two. He may show up this afternoon in the middle of the Bucks game. You guys may be getting killed by the bears, and probably not, but he may rescue you. I don't know, I don't know, you know? I don't know. Uh, he may come on Monday. He may come next Monday. He may come when our great-grandchildren, uh, who knows when he's gonna come? We don't know. And because of that, it really is kind of the problem, isn't it? See, if we knew, if we knew he was coming next week, what would you do? You'd probably act a little differently. If you knew he was coming next Monday, if you had a week and a day, I guarantee you, you'd live differently. And we know this is true because we've seen crazy people do this, right? Like we've seen, I don't, I mean, they're very nice people, but they're in a cult and they know they, I mean, cult people can be nice, you know, but, 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 but they know, they've been convinced that Jesus is coming or an alien is coming or whatever. And they know the date and the time, right? And what do they do? They're all out in the park and they're singing and they're, you know, eating their burgers and it's their last hot dog and all the stuff, you know? And then he doesn't come. Why do they do all that? Because it's imminent to them. And imminency creates urgency and it catalyzes action. It always does. And if we felt that, we would act differently. We would act so differently. But here's the thing, here's the thing, and this is so important for us. When, when the author of Hebrews was talking about the day approaching, I'm not positive they were talking just about the day of Jesus coming back. I think that's a huge part of it. And while that is going to feel imminent when it happens, the reality is that life is creating imminency all the time for people. Things are happening all the time that are imminent for people. And Jesus is the answer to all of those things. If we saw imminency different, I wonder if we would act differently. Because I wonder if it would create a sense of urgency that felt different. I made a list of things that are imminent in people's lives. I'm gonna read you some of these. Um, and they may be imminent in your life. Um, I, odds are you know somebody and this is absolutely gonna happen to them soon. For instance, you, you probably know somebody who has a marriage that's about to collapse. It's imminent. 
And they may not know it, and you don't even know it, but something's going to happen soon. It's imminent. You, you may know somebody that um, has a child that's struggling, and there's a decision that kid's going to make. It's imminent. It's going to change the trajectory of their life. It may change their whole family. You, you probably know somebody that's about to receive a health diagnosis. It's going to change their life forever. And they don't know. And you don't know. But all of a sudden, it's going to happen. It's going to be imminent. It's going to create a sense of urgency. You probably know somebody who's about to lose their job. You, you might know somebody who's about to lose um, a spouse or a parent or a friend. You, you may some, know somebody who's going to lose a child. And you never could have planned it. And you certainly would never wish it on anyone. But it's imminent. You, you may know somebody who right now has made a plan to take their life. It's imminent. It's imminent. And imminency should create urgency. It should be a catalyst for action. Life is imminent. Therefore, a relationship with Jesus should be urgent. Life is imminent, not just for you, for everyone around you, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone in your family, everybody in your workplace. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way before, but that's why the church exists. The church exists because life is imminent and Jesus is the answer. And the church is the mechanism for God's hope and help in the world. Life is imminent. <laughs> For the people around us. And our church here, Center Point, is a part of the answer for that imminency. And we should have a sense of urgency about that. Do you know what the mission of Center Point Church is? I love the way that you guys state this. We exist, here's the mission. This is what, this is what we're here to do. We exist to tear away every unnecessary barrier for people to find life and freedom in Jesus. That's why Center Point Church exists. But I want you to think about this word. It doesn't say Bryant as the pastor exists here. It says we. We exist. We do this together. Now, if you're a guest, not a church person, this, the rest of this is not for you. But for those of us that are Jesus followers, you're a Christian and you're a Center Point person, this is for us, okay? We exist to make sure that happens. Why? Because a relationship with Jesus is too important to get off mission. A, a relationship with Jesus is too important for we, us, not to do everything we can to ensure that we spread the message of the good news as far as we can. That's why this church exists. And, and I can think of five different things that we can do as a church, we collectively do individually as a church to ensure that the mission comes to fruition. I'm gonna go through them pretty quick, but there are five different kind of urgent opportunities that we have. Okay, the first one, the first one may shock you a little bit, but the first one is to attend church, to attend. And let me tell you why. Now, I mentioned earlier, you should attend because it keeps you on mission. Again, it's really challenging, and it doesn't help me if you do this, okay? So I, I love that I get to teach this message because it doesn't help me at all. I don't even work here, so you don't have to email me about it. So <laughs> attend church, and let me tell you why. Just think about this for a minute. How on mission do you think you will be as a follower of Jesus if you are in the gathering every four weeks, five weeks? It's just almost impossible. It's almost impossible. You need to be in the gathering, but there's another reason. 
Because every single Sunday, someone is walking into a church just like this, walking in here, this may be you, giving God and the church one more shot. Your presence in the building matters for them. You should be here. You should be here. And I know there is a lot of things you can do with your time. And it is, I mean, there are so many things you can do, okay? Are any of them more imminent and urgent than helping people's relationship with Jesus? I don't, I just, I don't, I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to do this, but I don't think so. I can't think of anything more important other than my family. Nothing's more important. Here's the second thing you should do. You should invite people. You should invite people to experience Centerpoint Church. Why? Because life is imminent for them. We have no idea what's going to happen in their life on Monday, on Tuesday, next week, next year. We have no idea. And here's what I know will happen. If something happens in their life, the first thing you will want to do is bring them to church. Why not bring them before it happens so they can be prepared for it when it does happen? Just get them here. Do whatever it takes. Buy them lunch. Promise they'll meet somebody cute. I mean, pay them. Whatever. Listen, I'll be honest. I have paid people to come to church before. I have an atheist tennis partner I used to play tennis with. I paid him one day to come to church, you know, because he wouldn't come, right? I mean, whatever it takes, it doesn't matter. Get people here. Build a relationship with people who need Jesus and introduce them through the local church. You have the perfect church to do this. Your church has designed with guests in mind. Bring them. Every Sunday is the perfect day to do it. And again, we have no idea what's imminent in their life. Third thing you should do, you should connect in small groups or community groups. And, and, and here's why. Listen, gathering together with other people in community makes your life so much better. Like you go further faster in your spiritual life with other people than you ever can by yourself. So it's selfish in a way. You should be in community for selfish reasons. But let me tell you the other reason you should be there. I, have, I bet I've been in community groups for 22, 3, something like that years at this point. Um, I, I sometimes really get excited about going. I sometimes don't. And when you work at a church and you're in a community group, I mean, you pray every single time. Every time there's a problem, you're expected to give the answer. So you're off the hook. It's going to be easier for you. But, but, but let me just tell you, I have never been in a community group. I've never been in a small group experience where something imminent in life didn't happen to somebody. And God put us all in that group together so that we could be his hands and feet in their life. That's why you should be in group. Who cares what you get out of it? You should be in group because somebody else needs you there. That's why you should do it. So figure out how to do that. Two more. Um, I love talking about these because, again, I don't work here. Um, uh, the, the fourth one is you should give. You should sacrificially give to the mission of the local church. And listen, you should give to everything you want to give to. You should just be crazy generous. You should give like money to all sorts of things, but you should make the local church the very first stop on your giving trajectory because it's God's plan for the world. And you should give to this church. And, and I can give you one really great reason you should. I mean, the selfish reason, by the way, is it's going to make your financial life so much better. It's the weirdest thing, but you will never have more peace than when you give money away than when you keep it. You know that. Like, you keep money, you buy a boat, it's super stressful, it gets scratched. If you give the money away, no stress. I mean, it's just so much better, okay? But here's the thing. This church is so dynamic, and it is so needed in this community. And the reason, and you know that. Your lives have been changed because of this place. And you're already thinking of people you want to invite to this place. God is going to continue to provide opportunities for this church. You do not want an opportunity to come by and this church not have the funding to take advantage of it. 
The reason you should give is not to keep lights on. The lights are going to be on. You should give because of what God has in store. And you're preparing the way for that. You should do it. You should make a plan to support your local church. And again, I don't work here, so it doesn't help me that you do it. But you should do it. You should do it. Last one. You should serve. You should serve in your local church. Now, I think you should serve around the world. I think you should serve in your community. But again, the local church, serving the local church, so important. It's the first place you should do it. And the reason that you should serve is because every single week, people are showing up to the church. I'll say it again, giving God and the the, the church one more chance. And we want to do everything in our power to make sure that their first time isn't their last time. At the same time, Something imminent is going to happen to somebody in this church soon. And you sitting with them in a serving role, you working in the parking lot, you opening doors, you sitting around carpet circles with elementary school kids, you working with middle school and high school kids, it's going to change everything for them. And let me just tell you, that's not like an idea that I think sounds good. I have seen it firsthand. I have seen it up and close. Um, Some of my best friends... Uh, at Wistock City Church, where I worked for so many years. Um, Darren and Jenny Starr, we, we met them the very first time in community group. We, we got into a community group, and they showed up, and they were like, oh, crap, the pastor's in our group. This stinks. How did this happen? And then later to that, you know, a week or two later, we realized that we had a lot in common, and we became pretty close friends. And um, we, they're some of our best friends in the world uh, for probably 13 years now. Um, uh, they were volunteering at our church um, very early on. Uh, with three-year-olds. They were decided to work in the nursery with three-year-olds. And, they, you know, it's a fun age to work with. You know, like, if you don't have little kids, like, working with three-year-olds is perfect because it probably is birth control. I don't know. But, like, you work with the three-year-olds, it's awesome, you know. And, uh, and they loved it. I mean, they were just killing it. They were so good with the three-year-olds. When the year ended and the three-year-olds were, it was ready to go into the four-year-old room, all the parents petitioned Darren and Jenny Starr to go to the four-year-old room. With these kids. We all love these kids, these, these people. And by the way, my youngest daughter is one of these kids. She was three in, in their group. So they agreed. And they went to the four-year-old room. And it was super cool. Of course, after another year of building relationships with these kids, I mean, all the parents are really wanting them to move on, you know. And we're, you know, we're doing everything we can, guilting them, shame. I'm like, you know, our kids are going into kindergarten. Kindergarten is scary. They need Miss Jenny and Mr. Darren at church, you know. And they're like, all right. You know, so they moved to the kindergarten room, and they had them in kindergarten. And, and Darren and Jenny are so incredible. Um, they moved up with them again in first grade, moved up with them in second grade, Moved up with them in third grade. I mean, every week volunteering as a small group leader. Now, they took occasional vacations, okay? We, we, don't, we didn't, you know, keep them, like, on a chain or anything. But, like, you know, went in jail. But they were there almost every single week. Why? Because they knew it mattered. They had no idea how much it was going to matter, though. I will never forget this. Um, this is kind of emotional. But um, uh, they had a little girl in their group named Hannah. And uh, one day after church... Hannah's mom and dad picked her up, said goodbye to Miss Jenny, Mr. Darren, left. And um, Hannah's mom um, had an aneurysm that afternoon. She was very young, you know, early 30s. And I don't think there's any version of good aneurysms, but this one was definitely not good. Um, I got a call that afternoon, go to the hospital, um, see the husband sitting in the waiting room. She's in surgery, long surgery, right? Um, She gets out. Doesn't look great, but there's a chance, uh, you know. And if you've ever been in one of these situations, you know, I mean, it's just, 
It's a roller coaster, you know? And um, there's good moments and there's bad moments and, you know, it looks good, it looks bad. And, um, and after about two or so days of that, she, she finally passed away. And of course, Darren and Jenny are a part of that with us. They're at the hospital, you know? Um, one of the, the hardest parts of being, about being a pastor, but also one of the most just privileges we have is stepping into moments like that with people. And uh, they asked me if I would do the funeral. Of course, you know, I did. Um, so if you've ever been at a funeral like this as a family member, um, there's always that room off to the side. And so we were in the family room before the service. We were there about an hour before, maybe having some food or, you know, things like that. And so we're in the room and, um, and I'm looking around and there's a bunch of people there, but I, I don't see Hannah anywhere. And so I asked a couple of people, I was like, hey, where, where's Hannah? And they said, oh, she's in the corner. And I was like, oh, okay. And I look around the corner and I don't see her. And then I see a little foot <laughs> on the ground. And I look down and Hannah, third grade Hannah, is sitting under a table in the back corner of this room, trying to process in her little sweetheart what has happened. You know, she, she hasn't come out, you know. I walk over there and I kind of just say hey to her. And, um, you know, she just, she's so sad, you know. And so a few minutes before the funeral starts, maybe 10 minutes before, there's a knock on the door and I open up the door to the family room and guess who it is? Mr. Darren and Miss Jenny. They walk in the room and, uh, and Hannah sees them. And Hannah gets out from under the table as fast as I've ever seen anybody move. And she sprints across the room and jumps into Mr. Darren's arms. And Darren is, I remember I was standing right beside him. Darren is swinging her around and Jenny's tickling her and they're laughing. And I, I just remember standing there and I thought, and there it is. They had no idea when Hannah was three that this was going to happen in third grade. They had no idea. They had no idea the week before when they could have been doing anything else but sitting in a carpet circle with third graders that this was going to happen. They had no idea. They had no idea. And that's the reality of what we face in our world, right? It's a broken world. And Jesus is the answer, which means you are the answer. We, we are the answer. I mentioned my daughter is in Miss Jenny's group. Um, she's 15 now, about to be 16. Every single month, uh, they gather together at Miss Jenny's house and still do Bible study together. Since they were three. I ask my daughter sometimes, I go, hey, do you, do you talk to me about everything? And she's like, almost. <laughs> and I say, well, do you talk to Miss Jenny? And she's like, oh, yeah. Life's imminent, right? It's imminent. It's important. And the gospel really matters. What are we willing to do to make sure that everybody hears that story? Let me ask you a question. How, how many days? How many days is too many days to live without Jesus? And don't answer that for yourself. Answer it for the people around you. Answer it for the people in your workplace. How many days? It's too many days. I'll, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I think that what we want to do as a church is ensure that every single person within reach is reached. That's kind of our goal. We want to make sure that every single person within reach is reached. And the way we do that is by engaging in the mission. The way we do that is by attending. We do it by serving. We do it by giving. We do it by inviting. We do it by connecting in groups. And I would just like to suggest, I don't think there's anything more important that you'll ever do than that. Can we pray together? Father God,
Thank you so much for Darren and Jenny. <laughs> I mean, I love them so much as friends, but thank you for what they have meant to my daughter. Thank you for what they meant to Hannah. Thank you for what they have meant to so many other kids. And they could have done so much with their time and their resources. But Father, they just believe that your mission is actually a commission that matters. It's not a suggestion. And God, I just pray that we will all begin to do that. I pray that, that Center Point Church will become a church so on mission that the thought of not participating just seems silly. That, that we will do everything in our power to introduce everyone we know to the love that you have for us, Father. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for inviting us to participate. God, we love you. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.